the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Monday, January 18th, 2020, as we head into Hour 2 today. It's a delight to welcome back good friend Lee Habib. He's a columnist at Newsweek. He's a vice president at Salem Media, which is uh, our uh, owns our radio station, and he is the host of a great project, Our American Stories. I'll talk to you more about that in just a few moments. wanted to get Lee on, on Martin Luther King Day because he's written a lot about Martin Luther King, and it tends to be the kind of stuff that I think we need to know the most and that the media tends to ignore the most. Lee, welcome back. And thanks for having me on. You betcha. Um, there seems to be, I don't know if this is the right way to put it or not, but there seems to be a, every year in celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. Day uh, an increasing uh, level of um, of, uh, of 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 sanitizing, vitiating, watering down the strength of his message and what he stood for, as if he was just another nice man who met a terrible end. But this was a man who stood for hard stuff and hard truths, and we tend not to study it much anymore. You and I were brought up on it. The media tends to ignore it. I wonder if you would spring off that. Sure. Look, you know, tomorrow, uh, all day today and tomorrow, the day before yesterday, and then all week, you'll hear countless references to Dr. Martin Luther King. And that's fascinating because his doctorate in Bible studies is theology, Uh which is Bible study. Uh And in the end, he was a reverend. Um, And so what I like to focus on is the Reverend Martin Luther King, because leaving his love of God and the Bible out of his story would be like leaving hamburgers out of Ray Crocs or race out of Jackie Robinson. It's that for family. Yeah. Um, and in the piece I write, I concentrate on some of his greatest sermons because the Bible is at the center of those sermons. Scripture is at the center of those sermons. And God's command to love thy neighbor as thyself and his whole appeal, the way he talked about white people, the way he talked about the Declaration of Independence and Thomas Jefferson, is so much different than what we're hearing now. It's so much different. One of the differences, and perhaps maybe the key difference, uh, we'll come back to the Bible thing in a moment, just the last part you said, is it's very difficult to square the kinds of things you hear about with the 1619 Project or the BLM protests uh, we bore witness to with the words of Martin Luther King talking about our founding, which he referred to again and again, not just the Declaration, but also our Constitution as as magnificent documents. Uh, It's an interesting distinction, isn't it? One that I'm sure a lot of people would rather we forget, but we cannot. No, we can't. Well, actually, um, I do believe that, and and I'll separate liberals from leftists. Okay. Um, because I think old-fashioned classic liberals would not be up to such uh, rewriting of history through omission. Because it's omission, Seth. I mean, it's leaving things out uh, that would then alter 
how people think about King. You make him think about someone as a secular guy, and you think about him differently than somebody who comes from the sacred and spiritual place. Because King was engaged in a spiritual battle. Heck, I feature a part of the most, I think, the most important, one of the most important essays written in the 20th century. And when he's in, in jail, sitting in Birmingham, uh, during some protests, which he, he, he dared to contradict man's law, he's writing a letter to the Birmingham jail, not to just anybody. He's writing this letter to white pastors, because they're for, ultimately, a civil rights movement of some kind, but they're saying, oh, but Reverend King's slower, slower. And he writes a letter to them, in essence, saying that, you know, I, I need to challenge man's law because it's not squaring with God's law. He uses those very words because the white pastor is saying, you're setting a bad example. You're violating the law. And he said, well, what man's law doesn't square with God's law, I choose God's law. And, and constantly, right up to his death, his greatest speeches are steeped in his Christian faith. And in the source of that Christian faith is the Bible. And he was continually referring to Scripture uh, throughout his, his, his march uh, and, his, and his, actually his quest for human dignity and human equality before God. And, and in the end, that was what, was what made him so different than the modern appeal uh, by BLM. It's the human dignity of all of us. Um, and when you see ACAB, all cops are bastards, all over uh, windows and walls and graffiti charges by, by Antifa. This is a far cry from King in his suit and tie, marching beautifully and boldly um, and peacefully and with actual permits, um, not roaming around and breaking up neighborhoods and burning down Birmingham and Montgomery. Nothing of the sort. Um, peaceful always, dignified always, um, as Christians are to do, even forgiving the people who've, who've called your names, um, because there's a higher calling for Christians uh, in how to deal with hate, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. And there's no asterisk. Love your neighbor as yourself only if he's nice. Yeah, when he agrees that with command, you. Right. Yeah, King, King, King took this command Seriously, and it was the moral force and power of the movement. Without that Christian underpinning, well, we would have had Malcolm X, because, you know, Malcolm was at the time working hard to foment anger amongst blacks and to call white people white devils. And this is before his peaceful change. Um, this was during the time of his ascendance, and the Nation of Islam had him, and he was spewing hate and selling it, and successfully, and King was selling love. And Malcolm was making fun of Martin. He was calling him an Uncle Tom, yeah. literally calling yeah. Martin Luther King an Uncle Tom. He, at one point he said, you know, he this pastor wants to sing. He's for singing. He goes, I'm for swinging. And, you know, we shall overcome. He thought that was a joke to sing hymns that white and black people had in common. This was uh, awful, an awful vision to somebody like uh, Malcolm X. And by the way, Malcolm came around, as we know, if you watch the terrific movie um, about him starring Denzel Washington, it actually shows this r remarkable change in Malcolm X in the mid-60s. But the, the, the early 60s, the 1963, 1964, the chickens are going to come home to roost Malcolm X 
a very different rhetorician. And King didn't want anything to do with him. I think there may be one picture of them. King didn't want them ever to be really uh, together um, or seen together. They, they, he, he, he wanted no truck with what Malcolm X was selling. But it does beg the question of um, who, whose, whose vision, whose vision has become uh, more, um, more prominent, whose, whose vision has become more adopted and accepted uh, today. And I think there's a fair case to be made that it's more Malcolm X's pre-conversion than Martin Luther King's. I, 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 certainly you would have heard that vision more on the streets last summer than you would have Martin Luther King's, certainly on the college well, campuses. Know, that, I, I think that's an open question. Okay, Seth. good, I mean, good. Here's, here's how I view this. I think in large measure the media has turned a lot of this stuff into kabuki theater, and I think on both sides. You know, I did something crazy when Ferguson was happening. I drove there. I wasn't far from the scene. And I thought, you know, I'm, in, I'm just south of Memphis. It's a quick shot up 55. Let me go see what's going on and let me walk the neighborhood. Do you know most of the folks on that street were media? Overwhelmingly, there were more people from the media than protesters. Of the protesters, I can't tell you how many, when I asked them where they were from, were not from town. So they were coming in from other places. Meanwhile, as I walked around the neighborhood, by the way, they weren't necessarily happy that the police department was overwhelmingly white. Moreover, that the police department was using the police department as a source of revenue, which I don't like it when police departments look at a citizen as somebody to draw revenue from, from red light, stops. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Stops. Yeah, right. It's gross, right? And mm-hmm. so they had some really legitimate beefs, but they didn't like what was happening on the street. And these were church people going to the local AME church, and they didn't like it. And their voices weren't being represented by CNN if they weren't out in the streets screaming and yelling. They were actually staying home. And the vast majority of them stayed home. And then Fox News wasn't interested in those people because they wanted to say, well, look at what's happening on the streets of Ferguson. Mm-hmm. What is happening? A few hundred people are acting like idiots. And, 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 and they're wrong, and it should be stopped. But this is not representative of the African-American voice this kind of burning of streets. and I don't believe it. I don't think it's close any more than the folks storming the Capitol represent the average Trump supporter. What a great point. It's a, it's a great point. Do you have time for one more segment or do you have to run? No, I have time. I'd love to, I'd love to stay with you on that point, on that very point. Let's actually pivot to that point about uh, Washington, D.C. when we come back. Delighted to have with us uh, Lee Habib, vice president uh, here at Salem and uh, host of Our American Stories, which you can check out ouramericannetwork.org. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. We have Lee Habib with us. He is a uh, columnist for Newsweek. He's a vice president here at Salem, but host also of Our American Stories, which is kind of uh, something I wanted him to talk about in context of what he was just saying before we went to the break, Lee. You were talking right before the break about how it's easy, and I suppose this is a form of uh, scapegoating in a sense, but it's easy to take uh, one um, one uh, asterisk or, or, or one extreme example of something, one outlier, and have it used or be used as representative of the whole – you were worried about that and concerned about that with what you saw in, as you reported, Ferguson. Obviously, conservatives like you and I are being uh, tainted with that, given uh, what took place on January 6th at the Capitol. 
uh, and that perhaps the cable networks have a bit of a, an investment in that, uh, in that sort of thing. You're trying to show another side of America. Talk to us about all of that. Well, you know, in the end, it's not just the cable network, so I agree with you that. It's Facebook. It's algorithms. Yep. We're, we're more and more only hearing our own point of view being reinforced. Then the question is, how fast can the media come at you? How angry can it get you? And then one day you turn it off because you just can't take it anymore. And it doesn't mean we don't have good discussions. What I love about talking to someone like you, Seth, is we have discussions. Yeah. And you talk it through, and it's rational, and it's thoughtful. And it's good to agree to disagree. But I always often ask people, what do we agree on? Mm -hmm. What works about America? And, you know, we started our American stories four and a half years ago. We had an idea of just telling stories about a good and beautiful country, and not a perfect country, which means we're going to tell the story of Plessy v. Ferguson. Sure. It's not a good story, Right not a good story at all, that Supreme Court case. I mean, we had an African-American in New Orleans challenging the, the, the state and the city on his right to be in a, in a straight car right. and not have to stay, sit in the back. Right. It, it's, it's an obscenity. It happened. And, and black people in this country have had a tough row compared to others, every other immigrant group. And we know this. What are the answers? Well, we may disagree on public policy going forward, but we need to know the history. We need to know the story, and we can't be in denial. And, and by the way, the same folks need to know that Thomas Jefferson didn't just own slaves and sign the Declaration of Independence, which, by the way, that alone, signing the Declaration of Independence, makes him a man for the ages, as Martin Luther King admitted, but he did something different. You know, in the end, you know, as we're looking at the Northwest Territories, Jefferson forbade slavery right. in those territories. Right. Right. If you look around the world history at that time and how many countries were interested in abolishing slavery, my goodness, this makes us exceptional because we're talking about world history in context, mm -hmm. not judging people out of their time. Mm -hmm. And they're complicated people. Jefferson was a, a petty, nasty guy. And, you know, when you read about him, he's hard to like. Yet he did remarkable things. You read about Henry Ford. He's a hard guy to like, but he lowered the price of cars. He raised the wages of Americans. He created the arsenal of democracy. And though he was an anti-Semite, it was those Ford factories that got turned around and aimed at the Nazis. And the irony of ironies, an anti-Semite helped kill the Nazi war machine. Mm -hmm. That's a great story. Mm -hmm. It's rich. It's complicated. And it's remarkable. And in its essence, it's quintessentially an American story of innovation and grit and overcoming these prejudices that all people, the Japanese didn't like the Chinese. My Italian grandparents weren't thrilled that they were marrying an Arab. The Arab grandparents weren't thrilled that their kids were going to marry an Italian. And two years later, when they had a baby, both families were bouncing the kids on the lap. Uh, America is filled with stories of love, how we love and live in this country, and how we get along is really the story of our American stories. And it's a remarkable thing. And I think the polar extreme, and particularly the far left, with its cancel culture and its elimination of the love of country, I just don't know what they're up to when they don't want to say we're a good country and that we've done great things. You can get to criticize a country, but if you say you love your country, and then the word but follows, and the list of what you don't like is longer than the list of what you do, try that on your wife. I love you, honey. But, yeah. And then here comes the list. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and so that's what we're doing. And we're telling stories about sports and history and you name it. And we've been getting ratings and we've been getting uh, just really positive feedback because not enough Americans know the story. They don't know the story of Reverend Martin Luther King. They don't know uh, his speeches. Um, we share them. We don't, they don't know that Branch Rickey and Jackie Robinson, their faith is what unified them yep. in desegregating baseball. Yep. We share that story. Well, you, you, through our American stories and through sometimes you guest host these shows, national shows, you know the country pretty well, Lee, and you're seeing a different part of it because if you talk to most people, and I'm sure you encounter this all the time, people are not are in a really lousy mood about this country and, and the divisions uh, within it. Because I think they are being, um, I think they are being purposefully um, used, and I think for political purposes and for, uh, you know, uh, what, what's the word I want? I think they're being exploited. That's the word I'm looking for. They're being exploited, such that it's it's working with a. It seems to me the crowd I know, everyone I know, thinks we're in a terribly divisive time. Perhaps, perhaps a favor is being handed to us by turning off social media. Um, as they're turning us off, maybe we turn them off and get back to something that looked like the status quo ante pre-2002 or three, something like that. But I think that they have caused a great deal, along with the cable interests as well, a great deal of division, whether it comes to pol- from politics or, for that matter, COVID. I, I think that they have been invested in alarm. Oh, and by the way, Seth, I, look, we just finished a story about Lincoln yeah. trying to get from Springfield to Washington, yeah. D.C. Yeah. It's called Lincoln on the Verge, a fabulous book. And in those 13 days, we find out that half the country, the South, hated Lincoln. Yeah. And he was afraid he would never get there. He had to hire the Pinkertons to push back four assassination blocks. You want to talk about a country divided? Half the Yankees in New York didn't like Lincoln because they were like, what's wrong with cotton? They ship it up here, we manufacture it, we mill it, we ship it off, right? So a lot of the Northerners didn't want to get involved in a war. The hatred in our press was so radically worse than anything we saw today. And the difference between then and now is now we get ghosted on Facebook. Then 600,000 people died. Talk about a nation divided. Look at the Vietnam War and the protests around then. Look at 1979, 16% interest rates. Do you want to talk about something that depresses the nation? Try out 16% interest rates. See how that fits on if you want to buy a house. No, I, I, love, no. I love this approach because – I love it. I love this approach because it is not the worst of times. And we have been in far, far, far worse times. And, you know, one way to know that is to study America, which you do so well with these uh, – with your Our American Stories. OurAmericanNetwork.org is where you can learn more about it. You can even get it at Alexa, which I it's just where I get it. Lee Habib, you're great. It was good to talk to you today. I love catching up with you. Just same here. All right. God bless you, sir. Little Henry Mancini going out. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I wanted to put in a word for Balance of Nature, partially sponsoring uh, this hour of the show. It is a great product. I um, love taking it, and I love when I get a new shipment of it. I just it makes me so happy to know I am getting the most effective whole food supplement on the market. One daily dose, and I'm done. It gives me tens of thousands of vital nutrients from 100% whole food plants 
fruits and vegetables. I had an email or a listener email me saying, so how, how do you take it? Well, it's really easy. It's just three red capsules and three green. The red are fruit and the green are veggie. They uh, lock all of their fruits and vegetables into these vegetarian capsules using a unique cold press process. You can open them and sprinkle it on water or food or some other drink and food if you don't like swallowing the capsules, which I have no problem with. It's easy to do. Just a great product. Powerful, great, potent, healthy stuff. Keeps your energy high and your immunity boosted. Something everyone should want this time of year. And they have a great deal offering free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give Balance of Nature a call at 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code BALANCE. It'd be interesting to see um, what Joe Biden, in fact, does get accomplished on day one, Wednesday. He's been talking a lot about day one of his presidency. I remember when... um, Donald Trump was inaugurated and was, you know, working to reverse a lot of the regulations. There was all these stories. Do you remember these? All these stories about Trump undoing the Biden presidency, excuse me, the Obama presidency, Trump undoing the Obama presidency, Trump reversing Obama policies. Yes, that is what happens. Um, There is nothing golden and burned in amber just because a Democrat does it. But that is the prejudice of the media, right? Because Obama... did it for eight years, um, it was supposed to be the right thing to do because he was reversing the eight years of Bush Cheney. He was the corrective. That's the way the media sees things. The Democrats are doing the right thing to correct the errors of the Republicans. How did my friend Tevi put it the other day? He said, uh, Republicans and Democrats in this country are always going to play in a field where the journalists are the referees, and they will treat the Republicans like the away team, always and ever. That's going to be the case. You're not going to see a lot of articles with everything Joe Biden does, either by executive order or proposed legislation, saying reversing, reversing, reversing. In fact, I think it's going to be an interesting question as to what Joe Biden is going to have to do to extend some of Donald Trump's policies, perhaps – this uh, this uh, this uh, surge coming up from uh, Honduras through Guatemala may be the first test of that. Is Biden really interested right now as he sees these um, these uh, looks what looks to me like tens of thousands, but certainly thousands of uh, immigrants heading their way north? Is he is he really going to start uh, defunding ICE and dismantling the wall? I I I, I don't think so. I don't think so. The other thing that's interesting, and I didn't I didn't expect to see it, but uh, where I did is that Joe Biden has been promising 100 million vaccines in, you know, X matter of time. I think it was supposed to be by April. And one of the interesting things about that promise is that's exactly the course we are on right now to deliver. He is not promising with regard to vaccinations anything that is different than what is exactly on par right now, what is being scheduled right now. Not a thing. There's not a thing different he's he's doing about it. He may rebrand the name. He may rebrand some of the operations. But there is absolutely nothing 
that not being Donald Trump is going to solve that Joe Biden can do. This was in a story by uh, by Yuval Levin, who is a classic Trump hater. And he said, um, yeah, the Biden transition team has put forward the goal of delivering 100 million vaccines into arms by April 30th, a pace of about a million doses a day. They have done their best to make that goal seem ambitious. It's the track we're on already. Roughly the pace achieved in delivering the flu vaccine at the peak of flu season in each of the past few years. Just sustaining it for the next three months is all Joe Biden's planning to do just to take credit for it. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Anything on your mind? It's your show here on out. Give us a call. Welcome back. 602-508-0960. Time will tell, and it'll be a very short time before we do tell. I think we're already beginning to see it. But Michael Goodwin over at Fox News is writing that the Biden-Pelosi-Schumer America is not going to be any less divisive than the America we have come to know. He writes that though Donald Trump was a disruptor, he was a piker compared to those who hated him and were willing to smash every social, political and legal norm to drive him from office. Pause on just the fact that there's an ongoing possible impeachment uh, procedure against a president who will have been out of office by the time it hits the Senate, if it goes to the Senate. That resistance was started by Hillary Clinton holdouts from the 2016 election and spread to Democrats in Congress, especially Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Their refusal to treat Trump as a legitimate president worthy of their cooperation marks them as early victims of Trump derangement syndrome. Before I go on, I was reminded of something I had totally forgotten. As there are these calls to remove members of Congress from office, including senators, for examining processes by which the Electoral College could re-examine the vote. Everyone from Kevin McCarthy to Josh Hawley is, 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 is in the crosshairs of these callings to be removed from office. I was reminded, I think it was on the Mike Gallagher show this morning, it was, that there was this very effort against Donald Trump in 2016 that was spearheaded by Hollywood. It was, in fact, a video message. I think we probably played it, if memory serves. Um, it was a message, a video message led by um, led by Martin Sheen, and included other West Wing co-stars. Deborah Messing, of course, was Paul, part of it. Uh, Noah Wiley, other Hollywood actors, urging electors to change their vote. You remember it now, don't you, Bill? Yeah, there was this entire effort by the Hollywood elite to pressure electors who were set and scheduled to vote for Donald Trump to change their vote for Hillary Clinton. Boy, I totally forgot about all of that. Shall we play it? No, we don't need to play it. It's enough of that, I think. It's enough of hearing from that. But yeah, anyway, the point being, 
the resistance was started by the holdouts from the 2016 election. They incited and fanned the flames of the collusion scam uh, and used it with the help of uh, James Comey and other uh, other crooked players in the FBI. When you hear today calls about how Donald Trump isn't helping with the transition, well, at least he's not spying on the incoming presidency. Was that helping in the transition? Are there going to be any more stories about that, or is that just dead and gone? It's dead and gone, isn't it? Uh, The bid to overturn the 2016 election was the first pandemic to strike America, and the contagion sickened mayors and governors in blue states, the mainstream media, Hollywood, academia, the courts, and, frankly, the sports and entertainment worlds. Michael Goodwin writes, the anything goes, anything goes madness made it acceptable in many quarters to declare that the president deserved to be assassinated. For all those, I'll repeat it, for all those who want to lump all of us into the same room, to use Don Lemon's words, as those who engaged in rioting that were purportedly on our side, does that mean all of them are in the room? of people who called for Donald Trump's assassination and depicted it with homicidal fantasy from from Kathy Griffin to other actors and actresses who dreamed about punching him in the face and killing him? Are they in that crowd as we're in this? Of course not. Of course not. The tech blackout Uh, was the capstone of four years in which unwritten codes of conduct were broken and traditions shattered. The players were different, but the central explanation was always the same. Trump is dangerous. This time is different. We have no choice. For four years, each time Donald Trump punched back against these attitudes, the would-be destroyers escalated their attacks, which were amplified by a media chorus. The New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC were on a mission to destroy. And I think it might be true to say that the reason the media hated him more than any other, as I had said for the last four years, was that he didn't let them think they were in charge. He didn't treat them with the deference they were used to. I think it's fair to say they got their revenge. They got their revenge on, on, on him and the country and the politics of the Republican Party that supported him. Um, anyway, the, uh, before Pelosi, in the entire history of the United States, presidential impeachment was used only twice. She doubled that total in 13 months. Think about that. Talk about norm-breaking. Talk about norm-breaking. If the departure of Trump... Goodwin concludes, could cure what ails America. We should be seeing signs of it already. But the victory has only stoked the anger of those who never accepted him as president. It's a good point, isn't it? Revenge is in the air as members of Congress and the far-left activists demand that airlines, hotels, publishing houses, and other businesses shun Trump supporters. Some firms are complying in a craven bid to curry favor that smacks of banana republics where the vanquished are hounded and punished for daring to dissent. In a move straight out of George Orwell, Dems and the media have twisted the plain meaning of words. Violence is speech, and speech is violence. Political opposition from Republicans is sedition, and 74 million Trump voters are blithely, blithely smeared as white supremacists. One so-called journalist at ABC News said America needs a cleansing 
of the Trump influence. Katie Couric this weekend said Trump supporters need to be deprogrammed. To underscore the sweeping nature of what is coming, Representative Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts, a member of the squad, tweeted last Thursday, there will be no, no reset button, no return to normal. The status quo was unjust in the first place. That's what we're, that's what we're looking forward to facing right now. Josh Hawley's book was canceled by Simon & Schuster, right? And it was picked up by Regnery Publishing, a conservative publishing house. And people said, well, okay, that just proves the market works. Not so fast. Not so fast. You know, companies can do to Regnery what they did to Twitter when it comes to distribution, when it comes to supply, when it comes to all sorts of things. But beyond that, is that the world we really want to live in? Where only conservatives are published by conservative publishing houses and only liberals are published by everyone else? So we will never reach their audiences? Is that the world we want? It's not the world we used to have. Frank Sinatra's in um, is uh, getting a statue, the statue of American greatness, the Garden of uh, American statues that Donald Trump signed into um, into uh, into law. That's get that's going to be a lot of fun when that gets completed. Uh, a lot of fun, a ton of fun. Uh, let's see. Let's go to your call six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Hal, hi, Hal. Hello, Seth. Hey, uh, uh, thank you for taking my call. Of course. Just had a quick comment. You had a, a very great interview about Martin Luther King earlier. And so uh, I was thinking about Martin Luther King and Black Lives Matter. And uh, long story short, I did a quick compare and contrast. And I just correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Martin Luther King was a trained minister. Black Lives Matter are trained Marxists. Yes, sir. Big difference there. Right. So you have uh, one is Christian. The other rejects Christianity. Correct. Uh, one accepts the imperfect nature of man and women. And the other thinks that human beings are perfectible. Right. Uh, one believes that we are all created equal in the image of God, and the other rejects that and thinks that they are the shapers of other human beings. And um, so the, uh, Martin Luther King believes in a creator. Marxists are the creator. And we see this in our own time right now, because we are to be deprogrammed, cleansed, removed from Congress. The people who voted these people in are not entitled to, to choose their own representatives. Fundamental rejection of e of equality of of uh, e of all of us uh, is at the is at the base of what Black Lives Matter and the, and the Democrats are doing. Yeah, I, I listen, Hal. I think you've put your finger on it, and I think that's really well done. And the only other thing that would be distinctive if you didn't mention it, or maybe I you did and I didn't pick up on it, is is the difference of whether race matters or not. And and in other words, whether our Constitution should be colorblind or not. And it, that's why I kind of disagree a little bit with Lee uh, on, on, on his thinking that the division isn't as big as, as I think it is, that Malcolm X hasn't prevailed and Martin Luther King lost, as I kind of do believe. I, I, and, and the reason I believe that is – Yes, he could go to Ferguson 
and see for himself what the people in Ferguson were believing and thinking. But the truth is you have members of the media and every Democratic member of Congress perpetuating the myth of hands up, don't shoot, and Barack Obama giving a speech to the United Nations uh, talking about the injustice at Ferguson. At what point does it matter more when the entire Congress and the president say one thing or the people on the street say another? I'm not so sure. I'm happy to keep you on and come back on this if you want. But is America as divided as we think? Let me ask that question to all of you, and you can call in on this. Is America divided or not so divided? What do you think? How bad is our division right now? 